Welcome to Cyber Insecurity, brought to you by eLearn Security. I'm Matt Kreischer, Content Specialist at eLearn Security, and as always, I'm joined by Neil Bridges and Jeff Goals. Neil is a cybersecurity veteran, work, having worked for the U.S. Air Force as well as PricewaterhouseCooper. Uh, he has also worked for Fortune 100 companies and is currently consulting through his company, Root Access Protection. Jeff is a named account manager with VMware Carbon Black. He has more than 30 years experience in the technology and cyber sector, uh, cybersecurity sectors, helping clients around the world achieve first-class security protocols. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. So we're going to start with Twitter, the uh, subject kind of occupying the news, right, the cybersecurity news right now. So Graham Clark, a 17-year-old Florida resident, was arrested for allegedly masterminding the Twitter hack uh, that everybody is talking about right now. The teenager faces 30 felony accounts and will be tried as an adult in federal court. Um, we've spoke about the Twitter hack a few weeks ago, and, and I'm teeing this up because I know that Jeff and Neil have very different opinions on the hack. So, Neil, I'm going to start with you. How do you think we should view Graham Clark's crimes in relation to the hack? So, in other words, is he a criminal mastermind or are is this an amateur that kind of got in over his head? I, I, I'm very much on the amateur that got in over his head. Um, I, I, I don't, I mean, I, I know that the, the mastermind thing looks really, really good in news, but, but I think I, I, I phrase this slightly differently, right? Is, is what does it say when, you know, what does it say about the state of cybersecurity when a 17 year old, um, who has terrible operational security? And what I mean by that is this is a kid who used his driver's license to register for an account on Coinbase and Binance, um, which was the the Bitcoin exchanges where he had to go through to basically change out his Bitcoin for cash to be able to spend that money. Um, he was he was posting, you know, on a forum OG users that had previously been hacked, and you know the FBI had access to all of that hacked data. And he was using Discord to talk about all of his nefarious activities, which is not encrypted. It's completely, you know, it's it, the servers are in the U.S. And so they can be subpoenaed and the logs can be achieved and everything like that. And and so, you know, you've got you got somebody who, you know, is doing literally everything wrong by the book to get caught by by law enforcement. Um, I mean, the law, they might, he might as well just held up a sign that said, come and arrest me. I just hacked into Twitter um, and walks away with two hundred thousand two hundred thousand dollars. What does that say about the state of cybersecurity? It's not sophisticated. It's 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 a horrible message to be sending. But so you're you're saying he was the smartest dumb guy, or the dumbest smart guy? I don't know which one. But you know, the the reality is, I think he was uh, a genius in being able to navigate the social side of this. I mean, every hacker uh, that is a great hacker is, you know, granted someone who can get away with it, uh, which. <laughs> He didn't, but he had the other two pieces, which is he was able to navigate the technical side of this and he was able to navigate the social side of this. And he got success in both areas. What so, what, techni what technical did he have to navigate? He didn't have to create a zero day. He didn't have to bypass any security controls. He didn't have to do anything. He had to pick up. Right. A because call. his social side was good enough to be you able ever, to get by that. You you. you, you <laughs> <laughs> so it, you're saying that if he was successful on the social side of it, he should have still worked really, really, really hard to break into more stuff. 
So, 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 so Jeff, I think that, I think this conversation is funny coming from you because you're a sales guy. You're a sales guy. How many people have you talked to and convinced them to do something against their better judgment? Just one deal. You, <laughs> you, you know, by that, definition, hey, it, it was be- your idea to do the, uh, the webcast. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. By so, by your definition, you are a genius hacker. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, this, this this kid started, you know, doing Minecraft when he was ten, you know, and uh, you know, evolved eventually. Uh, but uh, by fifteen and sixteen, he was actually uh, already one of the guys who was looked at, never arrested, never uh, necessarily <laughs> identified legally with you know, almost a million dollars of cryptocurrency threat, uh, theft. So, I mean, he's got a track record, at least by reputation, of being someone that's been able to, to do some things. And he did get away with that one, which kind of makes me wonder how he was so stupid in <laughs> covering his tracks or not covering his tracks on this one. Well, but well, I, think I, part I, of that is because he's a seventeen-year-old, and, and yeah. before Neil jumps in, I, I think uh, you know it's worth mentioning that on the social aspect, he was able to convince somebody in Twitter's information technology department of of that he was legit. So that does say something about his ability, whether you call it sales or cybersecurity or both, to influence somebody that really should have known better. This wasn't a, a social media manager. This wasn't a, somebody in marketing. This was somebody in, in IT that, that they were able to you know get into through. Well, I, I don't have the stats in front of me, and, and I can probably try to find them really quick. But there's actually some good stats out there that talk about how, you know, there is a misconception that IT people are less susceptible to these types of social, you know, attacks than than to your point, Matt, marketing or sales folks or things like that. Um, I, I I I don't necessarily find as much merit in that argument as much as I do around the idea that um, I. I don't see us talking about other crimes like money laundering or, you know, I don't want to get into any of the gruesome crimes or anything like that, or like robberies or things like that, where, you know, when the controls that are in place to prevent those robberies from happening, um, you know, nobody talks about the attackers being sophisticated when the controls just don't exist or when they're that easy to bypass. It's, it's not sophistication because controls don't work it's sophistication because there is a strategy to task plan and um you know they're using some and we use your word matt innovative (laughs) way to, to 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 do something that typically hasn't been done before this is this is tried and true social engineering there wasn't anything innovative about it and all of and it was clear that the security controls that should have been in place at Twitter did not exist. And I think for us to, I I think it sets a bad precedence for us to talk about sophistication because then it lets Twitter off the hook for some very, very basic security controls that they should have had in place. Well, but he he found, albeit one of maybe a few security holes that uh, that Twitter has, who I think that opens up the question of how many security holes does Twitter actually have? But he was able to find it, right? So if there's one or a dozen security holes that uh, uh, are you know, leaving them open to these kinds of attacks, this kid, you know, not a mastermind by uh, by your account, uh, <laughs> found it. You know, like 
others are trying to hack Twitter. They're what not being they, successful. So why? What do, they, what do they say about blind squirrels? Well, <laughs> it, it would be different if he was, uh, you know, 25 and uh, for the last eight years was trying to attack Twitter. Here's, He's here's, 17 and, you know, like he dumb lucked into this in what? How long was he trying to, to get into Twitter? Well, Couldn't have been that long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to say, I think this the way that this reads, this reads all very, you know, very spontaneous amongst the the entire lot of them. I think there were three that were totally got arrested yeah. by all of this. Um, I, I, I would, I would, I would, he would, he was the quote unquote mastermind, Neil. <laughs> so if he was, was like, if he was the dumbest smart guy and he was the mastermind, how would that make you feel if you were one of the other two? <laughs> <laughs> So now we're just going to start bashing them. Like yeah, yes, exactly. Let's bash uh, hackers. No, I, I, I stand by the fact that that you know I think I think this is a I think we give Twitter an out by saying that this was a mastermind and a genius attack, and because I mean these guys had and, and again if I if my definition of sophistication is slightly higher than then you know I'm willing to accept that, but I think there was there was no strategy about this. They didn't actually have an operational plan. Sure, they were able to execute tactically, but that's no different than a you know a, a half job smash and grab job into a jewelry store where they just like throw on some mask and run in there and pop out with a few pieces of jewelry. And it just happened to be that the alarm was broken that day and that the cameras were in maintenance mode and you know nobody was in the streets to see you know what car they drove away in. That doesn't make it a sophisticated attack because they robbed a jewelry store. So let me ask you this then: Is it possible that? Both things are true that that, you know, Jeff's point that this a lot of people have tried to do this with Twitter and this kid is the first one to succeed. And also Twitter can't be let off, left off the hook for the security protocols that they have or, or may not have. So in, in other words, is this it's it, to me, at least it's still impressive that the 17 year old kid, it's done what a lot of people have for years been trying to do, which is a, a large scale attack on Twitter. But also, we really should look at Twitter's security protocols moving forward. Oh, and by the way, he monetized it to the tune of a couple hundred grand, right? So, you know, Neil, Neil you, 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 you've, you've said time and time again, though, that people are the weak link in all of security. 100%. So, he uh, would be dumb to try to crack the technical side of Twitter. Why not crack the easy, low-hanging fruit side? So you're you're giving kudos to the genius who works five times harder than he should have to. The genius is in the simplicity of it. Attack the weak link. I I, I don't disagree with the, the the people aspect of it. I I again I get back to you know where show me show me Twitter's pen test where they tested the help desk. Show me a Peter's, Twitter's uh, Twitter's pen test where they did a social engineering engagement against the i team show me the results of their fishing um you know their 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 regular fishing exercises that they're supposed to be doing where they fish their it team and show me what their their susceptibility rate is of, of their fishing team i mean those are all controls that we're all presuming um you know should have shown that that staff was prepared to handle that type of attack, but you're um, you're you're in the same vein. You're presuming that those things did happen, um, and that uh, they didn't exist, and then Twitter chose to do nothing about them. No, I'm saying that before we can call it sophistication, I think it's worthwhile for us to be able to see proof that they were doing those types of people management controls 
to put that place that stuff in. We we still have we also still haven't heard about you know exactly how this alleged MFA bypass happened, you know, because nobody will confirm whether there was MFA on these accounts or not, whether there was an MFA bypass through social engineering or not. There's none, none of that in place. And so that still leaves the question of it. Did, did Twitter even fall victim to even some of the basic security controls, which is, did they have MFA on, you know, some of their, their authentication mechanisms? How did they allow an external person into their Slack channel? Right. <laughs> exactly. Like, like there's, there's, <laughs> there are some things that you do scratch your head as uh, you right. know, a security practitioner, right? You're like, uh, right. okay. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But so, my point is, is that he still found those loopholes <laughs> and that is impressive. Let me, <laughs> let me pull on this thread uh, because we could probably sit here for an hour going back and forth. Neil, I, I want to go back to a point that you made about IT teams being as susceptible to phishing attacks as, as marketing or sales. With the knowledge that IT teams have, why do you think that it's still they are still susceptible to you know the basics of of hacking? Oh, I, I'm gonna I'm totally gonna poo poo on all my IT friends when I say this, but I think it's ego. Yeah, you're, you're gonna get some text today. Oh, I'm gonna get some text today. <laughs> I think it's totally ego. I think I think IT people think that they're too smart for for those types of cyber attacks. I think that they no one would dare to attack me. <laughs> oh, I, I, I would recognize a, a cyber attack a mile away that you know, nobody could ever fish me. I think it's totally ego. I think and, and I also think that, like, look, when you when you look at if we take it outside the context of the Twitter, when you look at the sophistication of some of these actors when it comes to doing some of these phishing campaigns, you've got folks, especially in um, some of the Russian cybercrime uh, organizations that are outsourcing on fervor and, you know, you know, looking for, for, you know, other types of folks who can write really good English and can speak really good English. And they're outsourcing their phishing campaigns to, to those types of folks. They're copying, you know, legitimate emails more and more. They're looking for ways to have legitimate looking certs. Typo squatting domains are still very, very, very attractive and very, very effective. That's why BEC works so well. So I, I think, you know, you can't ignore the fact that phishing campaigns continue to get more and more sophisticated. And and I think any IT person who says that, well, I'm in IT, I'm impervious to, to phishing, that's the first person I'd want to try to fish right there. Well, I... I want to stick to i want to stay with social media but i do want to move to uh the other huge news which is TikTok having what could generously be described as a roller coaster of a week uh it's, it started <laughs> this weekend when uh president trump threatened to ban the chinese-based app in the united states he then changed courses announcing that the app had to be sold to an american company in order to remain available here um microsoft is currently hammering out the finer points of a possible sale with ByteDance, parent tiktok's parent company though there are questions about whether or not data history and tiktok's insanely successful algorithm will be part of that deal uh jeff the, the security community has been leery of TikTok since its inception. Do you think the acquisition will quell any of their concerns? Well, I, I think the, the security concerns are in the underlying code and what uh, vulnerabilities known and unknown exist within that, right? And so, um, you know, I don't necessarily think that the TikTok account is the end game of some of those vulnerabilities being hacked. But um you know, it's a it's a means to an end. Uh, you know, yes, I think it'll improve. Will it solve it? Maybe eventually. Um, but 
uh, ownership isn't going to change the vulnerabilities existing. Uh, it's only going to change if whoever buys them, probably Microsoft, uh, if they can finalize the deal. Um, you know, I think they're in a, as good a spot as any to be able to understand uh, how you know, the uh, the program is written and how to make it their own without opening themselves up to vulnerabilities. I don't think I don't think Jeff can comment on anything TikTok related until we see a, a video of him doing re- Renegade on on the TikTok app, you know, going up <laughs> nice. on the, the e learn security website. <laughs> yeah, he'll be waiting a while. I'll, I'll keep my mouth shut then, I guess. <laughs> I if my mom, my you, you have the macarena up there or something. I like. What are you gonna show? Did you say macaroni? <laughs> Is that what you said? Macarena. Come on. <laughs> He's gonna do poison by Belle Biv DeVoe. <laughs> I'm surprised you're old enough to know that song, Matt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what, exactly what I was thinking. If my vulnerabilities, you're talking about like the data privacy stuff, right? I think, I think this isn't a, I don't think that this is a vulnerability or a tech conversation. I think this is a data privacy conversation. I think this is, this is, do we want, do we want another big conglomerate, right? If we look at, you know, TikTok's 100 million users, if we look at, you know, going, you know, as, as a potential play for Microsoft to go toe to toe with, with, uh, with Facebook and, and Snapchat, do we want yet another, you know, giant tech conglomerate like, uh, like Microsoft, you know, and recently, since we literally just got done talking about Twitter and, and the, you know, the potential impacts that could have happened, you know, the, the worst case scenarios from the Twitter hack, do we want yet another, you know, conglomerate like Microsoft, uh, you know, having access to that much more, you know, user data? One of the things that I've found interesting about the conversation around TikTok is there seems to be this question of, of nationalism and privacy versus corporate privacy. So we're basically trading, you know, the Chinese government having access to Mm -hmm. billions of data points to American company, American corporations having access to these same data points when it seems to me, and and correct me if I'm wrong, that American corporations for the most part have been rather irresponsible with those data points in creating, you know, what could be generously described as a, a corporate security apparatus. So it's funny you bring that up because I, I interviewed a, a, a lady uh, on my show Monday night um, about, you know, we were talking a little bit about this as well. And she actually took the stance that she felt that it's better that an American company owned it than China, regardless of what all these other problems may have existed with any of these other companies. And, and I, I totally think- agree with that. You, 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 you're okay with, with, to Matt's point, corporates, corporations owning all of our personal data and, and using it for their, their, you know, potentially less than ethical concerns than, than a nation state like China. You don't trust Microsoft implicitly. <laughs> That's how I can tell you're a sales guy. Ever since Windows XP. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, uh, interestingly, this is only for four countries, though. It's not like they're buying all of TikTok. So, they're they're buying pretty much about a third of the access. We're just carving out the U.S. access by uh, Chinese, uh, you know, the Chinese. So, you know, we don't deal with GDPR issues. Well, it, well, that's probably very <laughs> true, but I mean, it's Canada, Australia, and New Zealand, in addition to the U.S., which, by the way, happens to be probably the th- three strongest countries in our alignment uh, around security. Well, let's let's throw some intelligence terms out there. Those are part of the five eyes. 
right? The Ooh, only nice. thing, the only thing that's missing out of Five Eyes. So for those who are listening, right, we've got, you know, kind of what we consider to be this conglomerate of of intelligence, except that, for the UK, because yeah, of GDPR. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> only part, the only co- country that's not listed in that is the UK. And so yes, TikTok, China, you know, based company has oh, happens to own a, a large stake in four of the five Five Eyes countries that maintain the largest pieces of intelligence throughout the entire world. So and, why? So what does the UK think about this? I, you know, that's a good question. I actually, the UK, at least from what I've researched, has been ridiculously quiet about all of this. I know. That's uh, the, <laughs> I uh, went down a rabbit trail of uh, uh, of Googling some of this stuff, and I'm like, okay, I don't see anything on, on the UK. Like, you got four out of the five. The GDPR site is, you know, clearly carved out because it's too complicated. Um, and why would I want to add that level of complication? But they don't seem to have a problem with uh, TikTok. I, I guess I guess I also look at this right, kind of bringing it back around to data privacy. I I would be curious if Microsoft's going to do any due diligence on the data that's being collected on the platform, because I I would imagine that their lawyers are chomping at the bit to 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 drill Microsoft for any CCPA violations, especially in the US, <laughs> um, you know, on day one of said acquisition, as soon as they come to find out just how much data has been leaked uh, or, or that Microsoft has access to um, as part of any of the CCPA guidelines. So Microsoft might finally be on the radar screen of uh, prosecutors, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I guess you don't don't count for antitrust, you know, exactly. 20 years ago. Bill Gates doesn't, if you, you know, if you read the exactly. most recent interview with him where he just calls it a bump in the road. Um, <laughs> what is interesting about this acquisition is from a business and a security standpoint is that the algorithm is the most valuable part of the TikTok platform. And the algorithm was created in a an open source environment within the cor- within the corporation by dance that owns TikTok. Uh, like Neil says, TikTok is not the same it's not the same social media platform that is used in China, but it is it is exactly the same in the way it's run. And right now, all of ByteDance's companies share the same algorithm. So there's there's questions to as to where that data is stored if Microsoft is take takes over. If that algorithm will still be open source within the company within ByteDance and Microsoft, and how. If not, Microsoft is able to replicate the algorithm without having access to the, you know, the the ones and zeros. So while I give back, while I give Microsoft a bunch of a bunch of crap, um, you know, yeah, that was almost a swear jar issue there. Uh, I know. Yeah, you know, um, we, we we actually want to have a swear jar in our house for uh, for you for me. Yeah, but, but I I don't I this is where I'll give Microsoft some credit. I, I think Microsoft could replicate the algorithm. I think Microsoft already knows what the algorithm is. I think Microsoft's strictly going after the data. That's why I don't think they care about the algorithm from a M&A perspective with ByteDance. I think that they're going strictly after after the data behind it. Well, and you start looking at this marrying up uh, the data then with LinkedIn data, mm-hmm. um, and you now have a really interesting cross section of. You know the uh, my my public work persona and my personal persona is coming together, right? Either that, or your employer is going to call you up and be like, "Why?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> stop doing the macarena, Neil. Stop doing the, stop, stop doing renegade on TikTok, Jeff. Jeez, yeah. <laughs> HR is going to love you. <laughs> well, before we go too far down the rabbit hole, let's let's change course a, a little bit. Um, 
I want to talk about Instacart because this is a, a really interesting situation. So the company is in a bit of hot water after user information, which includes last four digits of credit cards, addresses, and order history were discovered for sale on the dark web. Uh, you know, initial reaction this would appear appear to be a security breach, but so far Instacart has admitted to nothing. Uh, instead, they're blaming app users for recycled yeah, passwords it's not that our were then used for credential <laughs> stuffing attacks. Um, Instacart does not appear to have any sort of multi multi factor authentication, which is certainly common practice for people because. Uh, passwords are reused so often. So I, I, I guess I have three phase question. Was the company hacked? Um, are they passing the blame? Or do you think, and I quote from Instacart, security of Instacart customer accounts and data is a top priority? Yes, yes, no. <laughs> I have a, a love-hate. Short answer. I have a love-hate relationship with this discussion. <laughs> You hate me and you love the conversation? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah, okay. I, I have to put up with you every truth, week. Now. Truth hurts. Truth yeah. hurts. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I mean, I, I, the, the love part of me is like, I, I think that's, that's a huge set of coconuts on Instacart for, uh, for, for making a statement like that. Um, you know, I, I think there is some validity to what Instacart is saying. That's definitely hashtag unpopular opinion right there on that one. Um, you know, so but. I I do think that there's some validity, but it does remind me of Major League Baseball owners currently blaming the players for coronavirus outbreaks when they didn't have the time or effort to actually implement any sort of health and safety measurements. So it, it would seem that Instacart has not done enough in securing the app from people reusing passwords, especially since they probably knew that that was going to happen. We need to save you from yourself. No, no, see, yeah, that's, see, Jeff, that's, that's, you're going down that rabbit hole. I don't think, so this is, this is the pain conversation, right? About how, uh -huh. wire, wire, I knew, I knew where you were going yeah, with this. Like, like we can't, we can't baby users all the time. Like, I mean, that's just not, I mean, I, I did a stick. I'm sorry. You, no, you, you can't say that. We can't baby users anymore. We need to stop. I did a stat the other day, right? There are there are 15 billion sets of user credentials for sale on the dark net right now. And the average user has to, to potentially put their username and password into about 70 to 80 different websites every year, right? You can't help a user reusing the same password. No organization should own responsibility that says, I'm going to scrape all 15 billion of those passwords and make sure that none of those passwords are used in my environment ever. Like that's just not possible. All right. So, so what, what do you suggest to people who, uh, cause you're not going to solve this problem, right? No. And you're going to have more and more of in, the Instacarts out there saying, we're just fine. We love our customers and their security is totally important to us. And <laughs> that uh, was just a little deep on that one. <laughs> yeah. A little sappy. Um, but this is not going to be the last of these announcements, by the do way. You, do you think Instacart owns the responsibility for for a user reusing their password? No, but I, I, I think that uh, Instacart would do a great service if they would use this to say, all right, what are the standards that you as a user should use with all of your passwords? Because we recognize that you're probably going to have a similar username and a similar password for a lot of your 
uh, logins, right? And so you got 70 or 80, um, you know, how are you going to remember it all, right? And so maybe you do, and I'd, I'd actually love to get your uh, your feedback on this. Maybe you do like all of the totally irrelevant uh, uh, usernames and password uh, or what websites that you need to log into, you use the same username and password. Who cares, right? So they can have access to all of my Chicago Tribune readings. <laughs> um, like, I really don't care if you read all of the same Chicago Tribune articles that I read. So, so have that you, username and password. You hear that, everybody? Jeff's username and password is Chicago Tribune one two three. Go read his news form. <laughs> no, no, the password's uh, password one two three. Um, <laughs> but like, so for your your benign. Websites, you, you have a relatively low level of security, but I'm sure as heck not going to have the same password for my uh, yeah, email address or for my financial institutions. Like that, that would make no sense, right? Let me ask this: the way I view this is, I, I do think it, it is. I, I don't think it's an either or issue. I, I do think that we can blame users for recycling passwords, but we can also say that Instacart could have done more to, you know, require multi-factor authentication, even the easiest multi-factor authentication, which most people at this point, especially people who are in the demographic that are using Instagram, Instacart, are used to using. So it, it, to me, is an abdication of responsibility on Instagram's part, but it is also an irresponsibility of the consumer reusing passwords. And unfortunately, companies have to realize that we live in an online ecosystem where that happens, where passwords are reused. And for both security and PR concerns need to create go-to-market strategies that, that address that. So, so I don't disagree with your statement, Matt. And, 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 Jeff, dear God, I forgot your name for a second there. We've been friends for four Hi, years. Hi, um, yeah, my name's Jeff. Thanks, thanks for introducing yourself. I, I want to answer your question about, you know, what is the the kind of a, a better practice strategy, not necessarily the right strategy. But to to your point, Matt, I don't think I'm I'm absolving Instacart of not having multi-factor authentication, but Instacart's not the first website to have had to deal with unauthorized access to personal information due to password reuse we're just mad and i generalize we we're just mad because they had the the coconuts to come out on on twitter and say not our problem that you use the same password across 78 websites you know if you look at literally 50 of the last breaches that have happened in the last year or two um, I can probably almost guarantee you that if they were authentication related, it was probably because of password reuse and the lack of multi-factor authentication. But I, I, I will tell you this, though, Neil, that if I was on Instacart, which I'm not, um, and my information was stolen from them, that is now accessible or making my other accounts accessible, um, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd be mad at Instacart and I'd be mad at myself. Yeah, but the the problem is is that you know they are the ones that leaked this stuff. Uh -huh. And I say I, I say I say leaked because they allowed for uh, the security breach to happen. No, they're claiming that they have not. They have explicitly come out and said that there was um, uh, no explicit evidence of a data breach on Instacart's side. And short of short of any you know you know 
type of investigation, then, um, you know, that's, that's, you, you kind of have to take that into consideration. They're saying that there was no breach of Instacart data. This is a case of password reuse. But Neil, I want to push back on that a little bit because it, it, it seems like we're trusting Instacart when they say <laughs> this, but earlier in the show, you weren't trusting Twitter when you're saying, tell us, to, you know, let us see the pen tests, let us see the social efficient I, w- I want a list of all of the quote unquote trusted Neil companies. Oh, 100%. No, and that's a fair, that's absolutely fair criticism, Matt. But I mean, I, I, I think what we what we lack is we lack transparency so twitter is going to be transparent and so with twitter being transparent then they need to be a hundred percent transparent because so of you law. so you would rather twitter be a hundred percent transparent and uh, instacart being zero percent transparent and lying you're okay no, with that no i want everybody to be a hundred percent transparent but we also have nothing from instacart other than a statement for the people listening who couldn't see Jeff chuckling after asking that question, it was it was the look of somebody stirring the pot. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. All I all, maybe he's this, this is about the time in dinner where he hands me another bourbon and says, "Go, so, Neil." <laughs> and I, I want to kind of I'll make one last point before we move on. Is that Neil? I, I don't necessarily think that people are mad. I, I do think that some people are. I, I do think that when faced with the absolute minimum that Instacart could have done to protect reused reused passwords, instead of admitting that they didn't do it, they put the blame on the consumer. And and I, I think that I'm not necessarily mad or impressed. I do think that is a very interesting response. And I, mm-hmm. I think it's one that only a company that doesn't see any competition at all is will be able to to give what's that what's that there was that movie right you're, you're either incredibly smart or incredibly stupid by making a statement like that like i, I agree with you like i I'm, i would never defend a company that that you know says well we could have done multi-factor authentication but we chose not to that is that is a a straight up 100 irresponsible statement well and one of the reasons they were you know were and are the de facto standard in this space is because they were super easy because you don't have two-factor authentication, right? It's like, oh, I love using these guys. I just, you know, I just go on, I log in, and boom, done. And, and I'm there. I don't have to do it. I don't have to do any of that annoying security stuff. But yeah, yeah. And, and a point against Instacart is that, and we've talked about this before, is that you know, water flows downhill. You know, it's it's certainly possible that attackers were targeted Instacart because they knew that they didn't have multi multi-factor authentication. Or right. they or they weren't targeting Instacart and they just happened to be spraying across a large assortment of websites and come across some easy ones on Instacart. Sure. I mean, again, it's 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 hard to know, you know, where in the kill chain this this was. But, you know, that's why I say, you know, yes, I agree. Instacart should have had multi-factor authentication. But, you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't crucify Instacart for taking a stand on password reuse when we know that that's been the crux of numerous breaches in the past already. I'm, I'm a little skeptical about this, no matter what, though, because you've got almost 300,000 user accounts. Right. And all of them were individually targeted because of bad passwords or. I have one breach and I get all of those accounts. What's more plausible? Yeah, no, the breach, the breach is definitely this, this reeks of breach for sure. Absolutely. It does. This this reeks of breach. Which tells me that they're not a trustworthy company that is not being open at all and honest and they're flat out lying. 
I, I don't have any immediate evidence to, to counter that statement. I wish we had more transparency. You just desperately want to disagree with me, but you don't have any evidence to do so. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> that's, that's fine. That's that's the best you're going to get out of me. And, 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 and right about words. now at dinner, it's, uh, yeah, no, have another glass of wine, Jeff. That's right. <laughs> to, your, to your other point, I know, Matt, you want to get onto the, the other side. I want to kind of address your your idea that you had earlier, Jeff, about the password stuff, just for those listening, right? Is And, and I'm... I'm going to sound incredibly like a an, an Apple fanboy with this, and I don't want everybody to, to take it with a grain of salt, but also I, I do think that there's some merit to this. If you have, if you're in the Apple ecosystem, and when I say you're in the Apple ecosystem, you have an iPhone, you have an iPad, you have a, a, a MacBook, right? You're probably familiar with a built-in capability of your, you know, your, your Apple devices known as Keychain. Right, which is built into the the operating system, and it it stores your credentials on your Apple devices and syncs them across all of them, um, and and it's been tried and true and tested by the security community about the encryption and and the way that Apple does, um, you know, their authentication mechanism and and how they're securing that data on that keychain, and and what that does is that if you use keychain on your ecosystem of Apple devices. Um, you know, it is 100% forced, randomized, complex passwords for every unique website, um, you know, that you log into, regardless of the the risk level or the, the benign level of it, as, as Jeff puts it. Um, and, and I could tell you that, like, I don't know any of my passwords because they're stored on keychain. Like I, I, if you, if, if somebody were to hold a gun to my head and be like, what's your Google password? I wouldn't be able to tell them that because it's, it's stored, you know, it's a 32 character long password that's stored on a keychain somewhere. And, you know, I, I just don't know what it is. I think, I think that model is very, very effective in that ecosystem. And it works very, very well in, in, in trusting, you know, if we have to pick somebody to trust, you know, I, I'm okay trusting somebody like an Apple, especially when you look at some of the stances that they've had on not allowing the FBI to, you know, backdoor iOS systems and, and, and other, you know, types of technologies like that. They've taken a very, very strong privacy stance and they've taken a very, you know, you know stringent look at their, their security practices. I think that, that those types of keychains that's how you do it. The problem is, is that they're not user friendly, which is why one password doesn't work. It's why KeyPass doesn't work. It's why, you know, a lot of these other technologies don't work is because they're just not user friendly. They just don't go across the different platforms and they just don't work for the majority of the users. So moving on to our, our last topic, and, and it it's part and parcel with Instacart because it's, it's again, some strange security PR news. Um, the cloud software company Blackbaud has finally announced that it suffered a ransomware attack that was discovered in May of this year by the organization. Uh, in a what I would summarize as a bizarre press release, the the company essentially announced that ransomware attacks happen all the time, and you, know, <laughs> you should see all the attempted hacks that, that their wonderful security team has stopped this year. I want to stop and say that that is probably definitely Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. That is the <laughs> exactly. weakest excuse ever. <laughs> I want to say that, that that may be the case, but they were attacked and, and there was a successful ransomware attack. And, and in that press release, there really was no mea culpa. There was no apology for the loss of sensitive information. And the company also announced that it paid the ransom and that they were essentially promised by the criminals that the stolen data would be deleted. Trust me. Yeah. 
Exactly. So, oh, and the other thing is they blew the GDPR 72-hour notification by about three months. Oops. So, uh, Jeff, how do you think the company handled everything? Actually, did they, did they actually, do we get to classify this as handled? Like, uh, I mean, honestly, the, the announcement reeks of, hey, my lawyer wrote this for me, and we're going to release this as is without modification, <laughs> uh, which will help us be absolved of as much risk as we opened ourselves up to by stupidly not doing any of the things we should have done up front. <laughs> like, that's what it reeks to me. It just, it is a bizarre announcement. And like, I was, I was trying to think through how like uh, how this could have happened this way. And I'm just like, it, it has to be a lawyer's decision. It's, it's the only thing that makes sense to me because it doesn't make sense. And it's funny you mentioned like the, the the no apology. I did actually manage to find one one quote that resembled an apology in the entire- Wait, Where? So so it, it, here's, the, here's the quote. It's a, and this is where it's, it's barely an apology. It says, we sincerely apologize for any distress that this data security breach may have caused. Yeah, but isn't that like saying, sorry if I offended you? That's yeah. exactly what it is. <laughs> you big jerk. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry if you find that offensive. I'm so sorry if we might have caused you some level of distress about this. So it seems to me reading about this that some of the reaction could essentially be that because the company stopped the ransomware attack before the hackers infiltrated the network and shut the network down, that it, it essentially, since it was only sensitive information, they were basically trying to hide it under under the rug until they couldn't anymore. Do you think that right. that's fair or no? No, I, uh, I I think that's fair. I think I think people have gotten into the I, I think people have n not adopted to the change of tactics and techniques of ransomware attackers. It started with Maze, and then it went with Reevil, and then it went with you know a lot of the other ransomware attackers, where they're actually starting to extort you know you know extract data or exfiltrate data that then use that to go along with the extortion. And to your point, Matt, I think very much that they probably were like, okay, we got hit with a ransom attack. Let's let's wipe the machines or let's restore from backup. Or in this case, let's pay the ransom and, and get the decryption keys. And let's pretend that, you know, nothing ever happened as business as usual. I, I, I do want to say that I, I have sympathy for especially the security and, and, and marketing teams of BlackBot because it, it does seem like they may have been sidelined for you know the the majority of the three months that between the actual discovery of the attack and and the uh the public release so i'm also wondering you know jeff that do you think this is you know executive level decisions that just that that were incorrect or do you think this was a company-wide thing executive level decision guided by lawyers I was gonna but, say I was gonna just just been with me on incidents before you know in the past as we've talked through the things like this once once legal gets involved yeah it's it's nobody talks about it yep may I may I send this internal memo no you can <laughs> may, write it on a may I send this internal email. memo if I copy my lawyer eh, maybe. <laughs> so but no what what's the lawyers involved I would bet you dollars to donuts that all of these things that we see in this uh, uh, disclosure were pre-approved, pre-written, and uh, every step of the way, the lawyers were involved in it. I, my biggest question remaining on this is, okay, this was clearly a GDPR violation. 
mm-hmm. in, in every way, shape, or form. If GDPR is not followed, doesn't that basically dismantle the legitimacy of GDPR and this giant penalty? Like if you're saying, hey, this is we're gonna give these guys a pass, why those guys? Right. And so, you know, there's a giant privacy hammer out there with GDPR that basically becomes nothing more than a cotton ball hit if they don't do something about this. I think I'm just kind of curious. What are they going to do? I think you make a very valid point. I think if you don't follow up with the GDPR regulations, I think you are, you know, you, you are, you know, devaluing, you know, all the work that every organization was doing to put in any level of control. And you're basically saying, JK, glad you did it. But, you know, if you get breached, you know, there's here's here's the roadmap for how not to pay for your your 15 percent fine. Right. Just wait. And, GDPR, and we, GDPR will forget about you. Don't worry. And we, sh- we should mention that, you know, BlackBot's customers aren't they're they're not you know global corporations these are, are mostly charities uh, you know healthcare organizations and and nonprofits and and so you know these aren't necessarily companies that can afford if 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 their information was leaked to cover any sort of fees or any sort of you know attorney's fees any sort of pr you know budget anything like that to now have to make up for for that breach either yeah, I know, Neil, you do a lot of work with uh, nonprofits just because you know for a fact that they can't afford the really good quality security guidance and services that they desperately need. They are equally vulnerable, if not more so. And the reality is uh, this: if, if they get away with this, this puts every one of these nonprofits in a worse uh, space after this than they were before, which was already, albeit a bad space entirely. So well, I, it's, it's nonprofits. It's also like, if you look at the list of people, there's also a ton of universities that are on this as yep. well. And, and I feel, I feel particularly bad for universities because they have, I mean, I've, I've worked with university CISOs in the past and, and they have got such a hard job between keeping and allowing to have that open freedom of information on a network with as many minimum amount of controls as possible. And then you have to contend with a, a third party. And I think that this really lends itself to a third party risk management conversation as much as it does a disclosure conversation on Blackboard, you know, where you've got universities that are that are now being left out, again, to your point, same bucket as nonprofits, where they are struggling to figure out how are they going to justify the cost of remediating this to, to you know, the university uh, leadership team. Well, I I love it when PR related stuff is in the news because this is definitely my um, my little pet project. So this was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for joining us this week for the latest episode. Subscribe to INE's the IT Experts Network wherever you get your podcasts or check out eLearn Security's YouTube page. Guys, thanks again, and we will talk next week. See you. Thank you.